Hey, I'm Matt Hunkler here, back again with another episode of Powder Keg Igniting Startups. And this is episode 19 with my good friend, Max Yoder, CEO and co-founder of Lessonly, a pioneer in learning management software. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler. I'm the founder and CEO of Verge, a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent. As my team and I have grown Verge over the past seven years, we've hosted more than 1,000 entrepreneurs at our events around the world. Those founders have gone on to raise more than $500 million in capital collectively, and they're disrupting industries, creating wealth, and changing the world. The cool thing is they're doing it in areas outside of Silicon Valley, which is exactly why we started this podcast. Each guest has their own powder keg full of raw skills and talents that has ignited their startups and fueled their growth. These are their stories. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hunkler. That's H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R. Let me know how Verge, Powder Keg, and I can help with your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. You can find us there. Really appreciate your reviews and subscribes because that's what helps us reach more people. This week's episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by Developer Town. Developer Town helps enterprise companies move like a startup. I love these guys. We are partners with these guys. We've been partnered for years. Um, and corporate innovators often work with Developer Town to explore software solutions that support their core business needs. By leveraging their years of experience working with startups, Developer Town is able to help companies better understand the viability of potential software solutions and quickly bring them to market. They've created a proven sprint-to-market process so large enterprises can move like a startup. Highly recommend checking them out. Developertown.com slash powderkeg. Again, developertown.com slash powderkeg. Developertown, start something. Here's the part where I get to introduce one of my favorite people in the world. Max Yoder is a good friend of mine. We've been friends since he even moved to Indianapolis, where we both live today. I think we met in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, we're going on a decade. Decade. Yeah. Dang. We're celebrate. Decade friendship. I like that, man. Max, I appreciate you being here because uh, your company, Lessonly, helps companies capture internal knowledge, best practices, and team policies as searchable and assignable step-by-step lessons. You nailed it. I mean, I, I literally just quoted that verbatim from your website. I wrote so that. I, yeah. I, I nailed <laughs> It. Uh, we we love Lessonly. We use it all the time at Verge. A huge fan of the tool. It's really helped us scale into Great. new cities. We're in eight cities now. Congratulations. All That's of which awesome. has been powered by Lessonly software. And what you've done with helping bring, what, over 200,000 learners? Uh, we actually just hit a half million. Half million? Yeah. Dude, you're like outdating these We're numbers. Moving. I think that number was from like November. We're moving, so, yeah. Dude, you guys are moving fast. Well, you've got more than 60 people on your team now. Yes, that's, that's right. Raised $6 million in capital. Yep. Any other six metrics I should be aware of? Uh, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's good. good. We, we just hit the four-year mark, so business has been around. We're going on a half decade, which is cool. Happy birthday. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's been a good four years. Yeah. Well, speaking of birthdays, yes, you just had one. I did. And had an announcement to make. Yes, I proposed to my uh, longtime girlfriend. Her name's Jess, and she's now my fiance. So she said yes. She said yes. Yes. <laughs> she was planning a surprise birthday party for me. She did not realize that um, we had actually coaxed her into planning that surprise birthday party, and the whole idea was get her really focused on this surprise and hiding things from me so that I could actually surprise her with something else, which was the engagement. So the night before the party, I proposed to her, and she said, stop, uh, and then she said, yes. Uh, and I was glad she just had more than just stop. I think stop <laughs> was just the immediate reaction of, oh, my gosh, uh, I'm getting proposed to, because she had no idea it was coming. It was great. Are you good at surprises? No, she would. You know, actually, she said I could never surprise her. About four days before I surprised her, she told one of her friends that she could surprise me any day of the week, because I have blinders on, because I'm focused on the business, and but I could never pull one over on her. So that felt very good. <laughs> one time she told me I wasn't romantic, so this was my way of, like, 
I, I was like, I, no, no, I need to be romantic. You like, proved her wrong. I wanted to very badly. Yeah. You like proving people wrong? Uh, her. <laughs> I just love her. I'm and sure, when, when I'm sure I, Jess will love, love hearing that. When she said I was romantic, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a call to action. That's a call to arms. Challenge accepted. Yeah, you got it. You got it. So it went great. Thank you. Uh, it was a great birthday. Yeah, congratulations, birthday. man. Thank you. It was really cool to hear that story and see everyone uh, gather there to celebrate your birthday, but also the... The announcement of it your was engagement. one of my favorite nights, man. It was so cool. Was, thank, thank you for coming. Of course, man. Thanks for the invite. One of the things that I, I like about you, Max, and I wanted to dive right in here is you've been passionate about learning and education since I first met you. Sure. I mean, you were at IU, still in school. I had just graduated from IU, yep, and I was down there to recruit you, yep, <laughs> which which we successfully which worked, did. It worked. Yep, it worked out. Um, but you had created your own learning path. Within Indiana University. You got it. Can you tell me about that? Why did you decide to chart your own path as opposed to getting a off-the-shelf major? I was lucky enough to learn about the individualized major program. It's called the IMP program at IU. It was one of those things where just really good guidance brought me to it because it doesn't get a lot of publicity around the, the, the school. But what it allows you to do is take all the classes that you want to take out of every college because, you know, university is a series of colleges and you can go to the College of Arts and Sciences, you can go to uh, the College of Journalism, you can go to the College of Business and you can pull the classes out that you think are going to create a curriculum that you really want to take. And you can give it a name. The only really prerequisite is that you have leaders from each one of those colleges on your advisory board to make sure that you're picking classes that are actually appropriate. I just didn't really want to be a business student. I wasn't really great at finance and accounting. Um, <laughs> and I really felt I was going to fall down if I had to spend a lot of time in Excel spreadsheets. And I really wanted to be a liberal arts student. So the goal was let's create a liberal arts major that has a business sounding name that allows me to learn a lot about sociology and psychology and journalism and communications and just kind of get a breadth of knowledge instead of a real depth in any particular subject. It's just a tough time to pick. 18, 19, I didn't know what I wanted to specialize in. Yeah. And uh, I was lucky enough to not have to choose and just see a lot of things. And uh, it was a program that I recommend everybody who goes to IU at least check out. It's not meant for everybody, but it, sure. was, it was great. It's good to know it's an option. Yeah, you bet. I don't think I knew that was an option. No, yeah, it's not. <laughs> I probably would have not, not taken it. Yeah. Dude, I love that, man. Do you think uh, that sort of style of charting your own path is something that has had implications in the way you've grown lessonly? Yeah, I think it it certainly helped. It was one of those things where, you know, you kind of get a you kind of get a major that was mapped out for you, and I think that it just felt pretty restraining. And I also just really didn't know better. You know, it was like, hey, this is a neat opportunity, let's give it a shot. It wasn't some master plan. Sure. But when you graduate and you realize that, oh my gosh, words matter a lot, and people <laughs> see a business, uh, you know, my major was brand management and advertising. They just had made a lot of assumptions around what I knew. They didn't ask me like, hey, do you know these things? Because I would have told them no. But, you know, they just kind of assumed a lot about what I was capable of. And that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to just try things that maybe I didn't have the prerequisite skills for, uh, but could learn on the go. Words matter a ton was kind of the, the end all be all of that, of that degree because people really don't dig a whole lot past that title. I wasn't trying to pull in the wool over people's eyes, but I didn't know anything about business. It was, I, it was good copywriting, man. It, it clearly served you pretty well. It served me well, yeah. And uh, I think ultimately the thing about forging your own path was just having people around you who had already done that and seeing how rewarding it was for them and also seeing that we talk about learning. We just talked about you know how much I enjoy learning. I think the thing I like about learning the most is there's so many things in the world that look like magic Yep. when in reality uh, they're a process. If it looks like magic, in order to do it yourself, you have to be the magician, and that's very hard. That takes... It's impossible for some people, and they feel it's impossible, so they don't try. But if we can turn things that look like magic into the processes that they are, then it's following step-by-steps to just up your odds with every step of the way. And it makes these things that some people think aren't available to them 
totally practical. And I think we have a lot of that in the entrepreneurial world where people think they can't start a company because they don't know the process. It just looks like magic to them. So they, they just kind of wait on the sidelines and they're like, well, I don't really understand that magic, so I'm not going to give it a go. When the reality is, it is not magic. There, <laughs> there are a lot of well-known processes that you can Absolutely. follow uh, to up your odds of at least getting it off the ground. doesn't mean you're going to win. You know, it's hard as heck to win. Um, but it does mean that you have a, a chance. So I like the idea of taking things that look like magic that shouldn't look like magic and turning them into processes because that means more people can get on and give them a shot. Well, now you're making me wish I'd brought a deck of cards. We could have done some magic tricks. Hey, nothing wrong with magic in the in that sense. Uh, <laughs> I just think magic can be pretty alienating to some well, folks. Well, and even in magic in that sense, everything is broken down into process. It, it's you just it's, the, it's the mechanics. The process. It's, it's the moves. <laughs> yeah, you're just not sharing it with right, any, anyone. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's that's probably the case in in a lot of different processes and a lot of different fields. And so, what I love about Lesson Lane, what you guys are doing, is that you're giving the tools for people to break down that process. Exactly. So it doesn't feel like magic. Yeah, because because employees enter a job and they say, I want to do great work. They yep. don't sign up and like, hey, I kind of want to do this half-assed. <laughs> right. They sign up and they're like, I'd like to be really good at this job. I want to hit my quota. I want to make sure my CSAT scores are where they need to be, you know, depending what your role is. Uh, but the companies, and the companies expect them to do great work, but they don't always do their part as a company to document what great work looks like. Yep. We talk about like being a team player a lot, but how many companies actually document what does a team player mean? Like what are the fundamentals of a team player? Because you might think a team player is one thing. I might think it's another thing. And I might think I'm crushing it as a team player. And in your mind, you're like, no. <laughs> so, How do you define team player? I define it by the way somebody else does. Uh, there's a guy named Patrick Lencioni. I was trying to define it myself, uh -huh. and I was I took a whole week off work to try to figure out what a team player was because I was like, we need to, we, people need to know. Right. Um, he already wrote a book on it, and I read the book, and I was like, this is great. It's hunger, humility, people smarts. So having an urge to just do great work. Uh, not not a, an incessant urge. Like there, you need to make time for your family, but you need to step up to the plate when it's when and be hungry and 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 be challenged and want more. Humility just means you're not overly arrogant and you're not overly full of self doubt. You balance something in the middle. Yep. Uh, and then people smarts is can you empathize with folks? You know, do you have emotional intelligence? Uh, and if you have all those three things, you tend to be a very effective team player. Uh, if you don't have emotional intelligence, you no, know, it's tough for me. I might say something to you that I don't realize really bummed you out, <laughs> and then you don't want to work with me again, or you don't want to be as open with me next time we're having a difficult conversation. All these things coming together makes that team player, you lose one of them and you have some perversion of a team player mm -hmm. that can uh, be a less than ideal. And nobody is like nailing it and hitting it out of the park on all of these, but we need to know what they are and we need to be working toward improving places where we're weak. And Lessonly isn't about like that kind of leadership and development stuff. It's about the process. It's about like the tactical process of when you come into your job, here's how to move this opportunity from, uh, you know, from uh, maybe the negotiation to the proposal stage. Here's what needs to happen before you do that. It's just spelling out, documenting that stuff. Sure. Um, but in Lessonly's case, internally, I thought it was important that people knew what a team player was. And a lot of companies just don't they, don't, they don't spell it out. And then people have to guess. And you know what happens when they guess? They get some of it right and they get some of it wrong. But they're doing their best. You know, they're cobbling together this suboptimal, uh, what they think is, uh, is, is the picture, but it's not the picture. You know, you got to help them paint it. It doesn't mean you put handcuffs on them doesn't mean you be overly prescriptive. Just show them the guardrails. Everything within these guardrails, you're going to nail it. Anything outside of these guardrails, not great. You know, companies well, and I want to get I want to get back to what you do as a leader when you get off the guardrails and when you okay. when you do get it wrong, but I, I first kind of want to dive into maybe the earlier days of Lessonly sure. uh, as a company, uh, not necessarily the product itself, but you're bringing on some of your early employees yeah. or early teammates like Connor. Yep. Uh, I imagine you didn't have a lot of this stuff documented nope. at that point, right? No. Because you're a solo founder at that at that point, operating mostly as the only person full-time yeah. working on Lessonly. How do you get some of these key pieces and parts in place as you're bringing on your first couple teammates? Or do you? It's a great question. I don't think you, I don't think you do. 
you, there's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of institutional knowledge when you're hiring that first person, mm-hmm. and you're you don't know your market yet. You don't really know where you're going to find success. So we don't sell to companies like with Lessonly that are that 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 young. It's just not is not going to help them. What they need to be is entrepreneurial and nimble. Yep. But when you grow a company, you know, past 25 to 35 to 50, uh, you hire a lot more process-oriented people where you need to give them what they need, which is what's the process. Yep. So uh, when it, in the early days, there were some things that were meant to be documented, but man, vast majority of it is just, let's make sure we're sitting around the same table. Because when you make a decision and I can see how you handle that, that decision-making process, I can then intuit what the right thing to do is. That doesn't scale, though. You know, when Connor comes in, we can intuit all day long and we know how one another works and it works great. But uh, you can't do that past, you know, a table. Uh, once you go past a table in multiple rooms, that's when it gets a lot more important to be direct. What do you think is important in the culture early on Yeah, with teams that are, you know, five or less? Yeah, three things. You have no, uh, you have no time. Uh, time is your, you know, you're running against the clock of, Hey, we're going to lose money. We're going to run out of money. Yep. Uh, so you got to share before you're ready. You can't go in a hole and work on something that you think is going to be the perfect thing. And then come out of that hole three months later and be like, Hey, I got the perfect thing. And everybody else goes, that's not what we need right now. You know, I have no fear of the team, uh, working hard. I have fear of them working hard on the wrong things. So sharing before you're ready is the value that gets us to making sure that people don't go in holes and come out later and haven't wasted a bunch of time. Mm. They get feedback early and they get feedback before they're ready, before they're comfortable. And ready doesn't mean, uh, ready just means they probably are maybe feel a little exposed when they share that because they know it's a half-baked thought right now but that's the time to share it and to get it out in front of people and say here's like i wrote this in 30 minutes i'm gonna work on it for the next two weeks but i want your feedback and if i read it or somebody else reads it and they're like hey this is the right thing this is awesome go go full bore you've shared before you're ready you're working on the right stuff that's super important we can just mitigate a lot of trouble if we get things out in front of one another quickly and say what do you think about this Getting consensus, nobody can perfect anything in a vacuum. So it's all about just making sure you get out of a vacuum fast. Uh, The next one is having difficult conversations. When you share before you're ready, somebody's probably going to pump the brakes on something that you're pumped about. That can be hard for people. We like to please one another. Uh, And we're generally not taught anywhere in school how to be direct and have difficult conversations, especially in the Midwest. We're like just not something, a muscle that we flex very often, very early in our lives. And we feel like we might be rude if we tell somebody directly. But the reality is not being direct with you just means I don't respect you when it boils down to it. If I'm not looking at you and saying, Matt, here's what I think, honestly, that probably means that I'm hiding something from you and I don't actually think you're worth my actual direct opinion or I just don't want to invest in you. I don't you know, think you're worthwhile to invest in. I don't think that's cool at all. Is that something that you had to reframe being someone from the Midwest, Goshen, Indiana, yeah. who was raised with those those sort of, you know, maybe direct feedback isn't the the first route to go? Or did you, was your family kind of different in that direct my, feedback my, was what was Yeah, great question. Cultivated. My, my family was not, did not cultivate that. Uh, Christian Anderson cultivated that in me. I just, and, and so did Nathan Sinsabaugh, two guys I worked with at Studio Science. Sure. I got an internship there uh, after you and I met. Yeah. And, um, those guys. We actually met when you were at that internship. Yeah. yeah you came into the office. That's right. And uh, yeah, because that would have been predated when we actually met at yep. IU. Uh, they were just, they would look at me and tell me honestly how they felt. And it wasn't to be rude. I knew they cared about me. They had already established this base level appreciation of Max, we like you having you around. We love the you know energy you bring to the team. We love how curious you are. But that doesn't mean we're going to tell you everything you're doing is right. And man, did I grow really fast in that environment <laughs> when they'd be like, don't do that. Or here's a different way to do it. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was cutting me down. It felt constructive because it was constructive. What they had done is said, I appreciate you established that baseline appreciation. And they showed that they were vulnerable around me. They didn't just act like hard asses around me all the time. They opened up, they were vulnerable. They shared things that were maybe uncomfortable for them. That allowed us to be like fighting for one another. I knew when Christian gave me feedback, he cared about me because I was able to be vulnerable with him. And I, he knew I appreciated him. 
and vice versa. When you have vulnerability and appreciation as kind of the bedrocks, you can you can have candor. If you don't have those things, candor really feels bad to people because they're like, oh, that person doesn't like me. That's why they spoke up. Well, and Christian was actually our first uh, interview we had on the Powder Cake Podcast. And he did an excellent job. He did phenomenally. We, we've since upped our audio quality quite a bit, but uh, it's still come back. great content in there in, in episode one. Uh, Christian Anderson, High Alpha, um, with several other people that I'm, I'm sure you now consider mentors, you know, guys like Scott Dorsey. Yeah, he's just a great guy. Are, are there... Well, I'm going to put a pin in the uh, in the mentor thing because I think there's probably a third thing that you're going to say when oh yeah when yeah. you're just a small team. I, I want to make sure we we tie off that thread. Sharing before you're ready, having difficult conversations, and critiquing in love. So that was the last part about that appreciation mm. is making sure that when I'm giving you that critique, you know it's not it's coming from a place of we both want to win. Yep, we both are we're on the same team and we both want to win. Yep. And the reason I'm giving you this feedback is because I think it's going to help us win faster. And I think I don't want you spinning your wheels on something that isn't the the right thing to spin your wheels on. And you might come back to me and say, Max, I think you're wrong. I think that is the right <laughs> thing we spin. We should have that difficult conversation. Yeah. We should do it from a place of, I know you're not saying this because you want to spite me. And I'm not saying because I want to spite you. Baseline appreciation and vulnerability make that possible. So share before you're ready. Have difficult conversations. Critique in love. That is a virtuous cycle. If you don't have difficult conversations, people just keep sharing before they're ready and all they get is, great job, yeah, go. they're going to stop. Right. Like, this is not helpful. <laughs> I can just skip that part. Uh, and then if you don't uh, critique in love, you kind of beat somebody down when they share before they're ready, they're going to stop sharing before they're ready. They're going to go, that sucked. I don't want to do that again. Right. So you create this virtuous cycle if you get if you get them all nailed. And we didn't know that when we went into it. It was just a natural ebb and flow of kind of our personalities mm. that like allowed that to be possible. And we saw that it worked really well. And we said we can't lose this. So then we institutionalized it, you know, as our uh, as a three of our seven values. Yeah. Which I used to think were just total bowl. And Scott <laughs> Dorsey said that they were not. And I was like, well, this guy probably knows something about something. And I eventually he said it enough times. It's like you got to get your values down. And it was a great, great piece of guidance. Hey, taking your magic and turning it into a process. You nailed it. Uh, script, well, technically, you nailed it, but I was just repeating what you said. But you're right. It, right. It, I was I was making things, making people into it where yep. I should have been prescriptive uh, or prescriptive, more prescriptive, and you know it wasn't fair to the team. Well, you mentioned mentors like Christian Anderson and Scott Dorsey. Were there other people, whether in person and real life conversations, or particular books or podcasts or um, guiding lights that you had early on in the days of Leslie that have really kind of put you on this trajectory that you're on right now? Yeah, so Connor Burt, I mean, he's the guiding light. He does this company. Um, there's a lot of people who made this company what it is. Uh, Connor does not come in when he comes on, excuse me, and work with the the hunger that he had and the humility that he had. He just changed the trajectory of the business forever and never rested on his laurels. And oh. just for those that don't know Connor, Sorry. his his role at His role is the chief operating officer. He yep. came on as the, the first salesperson. Yeah. And he just continues to punch up into new and, uh, you know, incredible uh he's got a lot on his shoulders but he continues to carry it very well um and do so with the humility and hunger that I w- i've always known him about him he, th- what, I, what really drives me every day is i want to win for the entire team but you know how hard it is to like we personify companies yeah. we, pick, we pick the one person that represents the company and they you know, steve jobs is apple mm. apple is steve jobs that's easier for our minds to wrap around when we've got a personification of an individual instead of apple is three thousand people or thirty thousand people like that's not it's not a story. It's hard to tell a story about 30,000 people. It's a lot easier to tell a story about one person. When I think about the story in my head about what makes me want to win at Lessonly, it's I've promised a lot to a lot of people, but when it really boils down to it, it's I don't want to let Connor down. And that is my motivator, is I know he's getting up in the morning and, and getting after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and me sleeping in is makes me feel like a, a jackass. You know, it, it, makes, <laughs> it makes me feel lame. It makes me feel rude. Yeah. Uh, I love the guy. I don't want to let him down. I never want him to look at me and go, you didn't do enough. That is like my greatest fear. So I love having that motivator on the team every day when I can look over and be like, he's going to get after it. I got to get after it. 
And uh, our friendship doesn't stop us from having difficult conversations, doesn't stop us from, you know, sharing before already, doesn't stop us from doing all things we need to do. But man, it is the gift that keeps on giving is just having somebody around who you're uh, just deeply motivated by. It sounds like a great dynamic to have on the team. And as I've seen you guys together and collaborating, you know, mostly in the early days when you guys are working out of your Broad Ripple apartment that was just down the street from my house, you know, I'd pop in and see you guys uh, collaborating from time to time. Great energy. And I imagine it just had massive impact on how you've grown this team to over 60 people now. Unreal. And we just couldn't do it again. And I don't mean to belabor the point. It's just like, you don't, we didn't know that was going to happen. So when people pick their teammates, you know, pick somebody who you want to fight for and who has proven that they will fight for you. And we just were lucky to fall into that. But it's the greatest gift you could have when you're starting a business to have somebody around you like that every day. Talk to me about how you guys have gone about building this team. Did you build it very intentionally or did it just kind of, uh, to your point, magically happen and unfold? Yeah, I mean, we got we got lucky a ton. Sure. But that happens a lot. You know, the more you act, the more you get lucky. Everybody says that. I think it's very true. When it comes to how we built the team, it's very intentional. I mean, the first two hires after uh, Connor were uh, Mitch Causey and Corey Kime. We were Orr Fellows together. We were in this thing called the Orr Fellowship together. So we knew that they were just solid people. We knew that they were hard workers. We knew that they were kind. We knew that they had, had a lot of ambition. Um, and we made those hires very slowly, and they sacrificed things to join the team that early, and we'll never, you know, we'll, we'll do everything we can to make that worthwhile for them. And ideally, it already has been, but you know what I mean. It was awesome to see them sacrifice to come aboard uh, because that makes us all want to fight really hard for one another. And those people really created uh, um, a dynamic that was pretty evident when you walked into the room. It's not We were all very different people. And it's yeah. not like a homogenous thing where we all like the same music, we all like the same books, we all think the same way. Not at all. Corey's very different from me, Mitch is very different from me, Connor's very different from me, and that is great. But they all had this kind of... They all had the same similar kind of DNA insofar as they were built in a certain way where I was like, I just want to get after it. I don't need the spotlight. And they understand how people work. They understand the dynamics of people. And that's huge. So anyhow, those guys set the precedent. Um, Aaron Milam joined next as our first uh, full-time engineer uh, and fit in great. He was our first kind of guy that we didn't know, mm-hmm. which is very scary when you hire somebody <laughs> sure. you don't know. Sure. And he did. He just was wonderful. That was the thing that I, was hard for me as we were scaling the team is every time we'd go from 5 to 8 and 8 to 13 and 13 to 26, I'd worry we were going to lose that special thing. That was uh, uh, that made the company like what I wanted to wake up for every day. Yeah. But the reality was, we were very picky about who we hired. We fired quickly when it didn't work out, and that didn't mean the people weren't good people. It just meant they weren't the right fit for the team. And we, I realized that we were getting stronger, and that was a real exciting thing to know that like we're at twenty five, but we're actually a stronger team than we were when we were eight. Doesn't mean that things don't change; they do change. But you decide if they change for the better or the worse. You know, I think a lot of people get scared of seeing a culture that is great change because they're like, well, I like this, but we can't stay this way. You know, that's, we didn't sign up for that. We signed up for high growth, a lot of changes, uh, dynamism that, you know, you've never seen before. We just need to make it better. Yeah. And that is a choice. Well, when, when you talk about that early team with, with Corey and Mitch and Connor and you, I I love that you point out that you guys were very different people uh, and had diversity of thought, but you know, to someone from the outside, they're like, oh, these guys were all in the fellowship program yeah. together. Four white males. Yeah, it doesn't, four, doesn't four look very men. great. Yeah. Right. Talk to me about diversity. Is that something you're thinking about now as you grow the team? Yeah. Um, I ask it, obviously, knowing that, that it is something we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Um, how are you thinking about diversity and why is that a priority? Yeah. So, I mean, to be clear, um, we offered Mitch's job to somebody else before we met Mitch. And it was a woman. <laughs> and she said no. It wasn't that we weren't trying to hire women. It was that we just kept getting, they just, I don't know, she said no. Um, but we kept trying to hire the best people for the best for the right role. And yeah. it just turned out that the people who ended up accepting that we were thrilled about were, for better or worse, 
white males. We, when as soon as we got our first woman on the team, it was exciting. It's always exciting to have a change like that, but it was also just so eye-opening around how much we were missing. And now with our leadership team, having a presence of multiple women on our leadership team is huge. Um, you know, we've got directors and executives and they comprise our leadership team and people just bring different perspectives and we are wired differently. Like there's entire books about how oh, different we're wired. And it is a very important difference. I think what really happened in the early days was I'm pretty high estrogen. Uh, I don't think I'm a heavy testosterone. I'm not very athletic. I'm very kind of macho dude. I think that helped, you know, bring some of that perspective, but it, you got to get the real thing. And we got the real thing and it went swimmingly and it continues to go swimmingly. And the more we bring in people who have diverse backgrounds, the better it gets. The next thing we need to do is fill that. Oh, we have an independent seat on our board. And my job is to fill that seat with a woman who either comes with technical talent or leadership uh, and learning uh, background. Okay. I, I meant learning and development background or uh, technical background. I just think that's huge. We got to do it. Absolutely. Well, and if we can help, of course, obviously uh, happy to help expand the search. Yeah. OpenView is doing a great job. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, great. Of just, you know, finding people out there who are just killing and who are great people and who can bring a new perspective to the team. We've got a lot of sales and marketing expertise on the board. Uh, we need to change, you know, we need to bring some dynamism to that. And you mentioned OpenView, who led the last round yep. of funding. Talk to me a little bit about picking uh, investors, because that's that's part of the courting process as well, right? Because oh, yeah. I, I imagine OpenView uh, and your early you know seed investors have huge uh, amount of impact and have their fingerprints all over Lessonly. Oh my gosh, yeah. And some people, I think it's important. We had to talk to the team about the team was like, so does this mean that they're our bosses now? And it's like, well, no. Uh, it means that they have a voice, but it doesn't mean they are the voice, and it doesn't mean they want to run the company. Like their entire goal is to not run this company. That is good for them is the company is running itself and they don't need to step in. But it's kind of a, something that people don't know if they're not in the world of like, what does a VC do? Well, they don't want to run the business. Right. They, they want to help and be a value add, but they don't want to be the value because that's not what they signed up for. At least good investors. Yeah, the right ones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and these guys are best in class. They've done this many times. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about a time where maybe they helped you level up? Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, I mean, beyond the cash, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the ca cash, the cash helps a ton, but, um, <laughs> when it comes to helping us build out a leadership team, like when they invested, we had 17 people. Well, that's not true. We started the year with 17 people. And when they invested in about March of last year, 2016, we had about 25, but we didn't have a very rich leadership team. We had a lot of contributors and it was really like Connor, myself, Corey, Mitch, Aaron, and I'm sure I'm missing some folks in there, but it wasn't, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of experience in the leadership team. None of us had a whole lot of management experience. So I'm just kind of being like, you're going to love it <laughs> when you bring people in who have seen the movie before. Yeah. Uh, because what they're going to be able to do is look at you and go, this is normal or this is abnormal because I've seen it before. And I need that because when I see something that doesn't feel right, my first worry, you know, when I kind of get into my psyche is, uh oh, is this something we did? Like, is this a natural thing or is this like a, a mistake that was made because we made bad calls? And to have like Justin Fight join the team as our chief sales officer and go look at me and go, oh, normal. I'm like, heck yeah, normal. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it just feels better. It's yeah. like, and then he's like, like I know you've been there. I know you've done that. Yeah. And he can say, and I got a couple ideas as how, how we kind of get over this hurdle. Scott Dorsey has done a really good thing for me of just making me look at every challenge as an opportunity instead of a threat. And it sounds very trite. It sounds very like, Oh, yeah, that's a self-help book waiting to happen. And it's probably it's already been written. Super better is actually pretty much all about that. But it's real. Um, you, you get to frame the problem how you want to frame the problem. You know, somebody I read a quote that said, the problem isn't the problem, it's your, it's your uh, perception of the problem. 
or it's your attitude about the problem that's the problem. Challenges are going to come at you. Every time they come at Scott, he just does this, and he smiles, and he's, he tackles it. And that's way better than looking at it as a threat where you kind of want to recede back into your cage mm-hmm. or your cave and just go to bed because uh, you're like, I don't want to deal with that. You waste a lot of time worrying in that mindset that you then don't have that energy that you've already wasted on the worry to put into the actually solving the problem. If you come at it from a challenge mindset, you're like, I didn't waste my time worrying. I'm just going to get after it. The easiest way for this to go away is I work on it, you know, and I don't hide from it. And it, it, I know how simple and maybe even lame that sounds if you've not tried it. But it took me a long time, and then all of a sudden you just start to default yeah. in, into that mindset. And life gets a lot richer when that happens. Well, I have to compliment you, Max, because I've known you for a long time through your entrepreneurial journey or journeys, counting the first venture um, that you sure. pitched at Verge and, and, and grew to a certain point. But this journey that you've gone a lot further yep. on with Lessonly, I feel like I can tell that you worry a whole lot less. Yeah. And you're just, uh, you seem like you're in flow a lot more than you were in the early days. That was hard for me. Yeah. I I'm a big worrier. I what, mean, what, talk to me about when you're shifting, because on one end you've got worry, on the other end you've got icy challenges as opportunity. Yep. Talk to me about that middle part where you like are recognizing that you're worrying and that it's not helpful. Yeah. How would you snap yourself out of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am trying to meditate because it helps a lot. Uh, but more, normally it's really just about talking about the problem or writing the problem down for me. Mm-hmm. Just getting it documented yeah. and realizing that it's not as threatening as it feels like it is. But when, I just... When you say talking about it, uh, are you we're talking into a recorder by yourself? Talking or to people. Ta- talking to people. Yeah. People I, on your team. Yeah, people on the team. And, you know, I don't like to burden people on the team with, like, my deep, dark worries sure. because they've got a lot on their shoulders already and it doesn't seem fair to them. But then sometimes I realize how much they appreciate it when... You know, it's me being vulnerable, and I, if I expect them to be vulnerable. I got to be vulnerable back at them. Sure. So there's a certain balance of like, hey, I believe in this place, but that doesn't mean I don't worry about it. Yep. And it's my job to worry about because when I worry about it, then I work on the problem. So uh, Eric Tobias, who is a co-founder of Lessonly, helped me reframe. I said, Eric, I'm really worried about the team growing when we were eight people, and he said, I'm glad you're worried about it because you worrying about it means you're going to work on it. If you weren't worried about it, I worried you wouldn't be working on it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to work on it, you're probably going to figure it out. You know, like you're going to put enough will into it that you're going to get there. And I like that reframing of worry. So. My mind defaults to worry, uh, but the more you practice around saying, I recognize that I'm worrying right now, and I recognize that there's not a whole lot of value to it, and I recognize that if there is value to it, I'm only going to uncover it by just working. You know, that's how I absolve my my worry, is I work, and it helps. Now, I have to stop working sometimes, too, and I make music when I do that, and I spend time with my, my fiance, and those are all really great balancing moments for me, but I just really stop worrying when I start working. That's good, man. That's really good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it, and I'm glad to hear it. Well, I appreciate that. It, it's really impressive what you've built, and you have so much. Um, I have so much to learn from you, and I, I think you have a ton to teach. Uh, and I was wondering, is it actually perfect transition that you mentioned your music? I was wondering if you could uh, teach me a song off the new album. Yeah, you bet. Um, I will try. Um, I've never played this song in full on a ukulele, but I'm happy to give it a go. And you've got a full, full guitar here. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never played this song in part. Yeah, so, you never even touched it. So yeah. we'll be learning together. Yeah, you bet, man. I'd be happy to. Do you want to just pick up some guitars? Let's do it. All right. We are doing it live. <laughs> C, F, C, F, C. Oh, that's cool. Oh, nice. We got the mics in the ears. going F to C, back and forth, and then I'm going to tell you, and we're going to go F to G, C, 
minor. Again, F, G, C, A minor. F, G, C, A minor, and then just do an F to a G, and then back to that interlude, F. I like it. We're getting there. It's good, man. So we'll just do it like a quick do it little rendition, yeah. good man I, I i messed up the, i messed up the song but uh, oh, i on. tried to keep up with you man you got about two minutes of of practice in there so. you're a good teacher oh dude you're, thank you that was fun what chords i did hit was because you're a good teacher uh yeah i just yell at you <laughs> f c f um yeah and uh, there's no vocal warm up there please give me just you know no you're good man just give it yeah you're good give, take it with, if, take if it people want to check out your music where, they, where can they find it uh max none, okay. none of the new stuff's on there yet but it will be in no time awesome Awesome. There's we'll, a bunch of old stuff, but it's still stuff. We'll link it up in the show notes as well as lessonly.com. You nailed it. Awesome, man. And on on Twitter's? Uh, Twitter's at Max Yoder, and it's at Lessonly. Awesome. Yep. Instagram, too. Uh, Max Yoder and Lesson.ly, because we, we used to have Lesson.ly as like our main thing, and we can't get it on Instagram, so we kept we can't get the Lesson on Instagram, so you know, what the, you know how it goes. I like the dot .com. Yeah, I like the dot .com, too. No, it's definitely way easier to talk about. People used to be like, it's .ly.com? No, 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 no. Just lessonly.com now. It's way better. I like it, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming in and oh, my sharing your story, sharing your music. Uh, we'll have to get back in here. I've, I've got another page and a half of questions. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care, brother. Hey, it's your host, Matt Hunkler here again. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Powder Keg is presented by Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent growing companies beyond Silicon Valley. We have a ton of free resources for starting and growing your business at vergehq.com. We also host several events every month around the country. So Check us out and see where we're at. I would love to link up with you in person, learn a little bit more about what you're working on and how we can help. So again, that's vergehq.com. And of course, you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hunkler. That's at H-U-N-C-K. 
H-E-L-L-E-R. I appreciate all of your feedback, all the conversation and dialogue there. Thank you so much for continuing to give great feedback, great ideas for future shows. And of course, let me know how I can help. I want to help you. I want to help your business. And I want to help make this podcast better and better so that, again, we're helping more and more people the more interviews we do, the more episodes we have. So thanks to everyone who has done that. And of course, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has left us a review this past week and subscribed on iTunes. You can leave us your honest review by using this link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. Please give us a subscribe while you're at it and we'll be forever indebted to you because it's your reviews, it's your subscriptions and your feedback that help us get better and reach more people to build bigger and better businesses that really matter. Thank you so much for tuning in.